Welcome to the Higher Ed Jobs Podcast, a brief moment for listener mail edition. I'm Andy Hibble, the Chief Operating Officer and one of the co-founders of Higher Ed Jobs. And I'm Kelly Sherwin, the Director of Editorial Strategy. And we're joined today by Matt Trainum, the Senior Consultant for Leadership Strategy with Credo and a good friend of the podcast. Hi, Matt. Thanks for coming back for our mailbag episode. Great to have you here. You know, it is a complete pleasure every single time. Thanks for having me. Nice to see you both. So today's question is, why doesn't higher education in general do more secession planning, especially for upper level executive positions? Right. Why don't they? So let me tell you, I, I get to be on lots of campuses and the conversation of secession planning is very common uh, with organizations trying to think about it and do it more. And I have, I have a couple different takes on this. Here is one take that might be a little surprising. They do do it. Most organizations, most divisions have a clear structure where there are number twos and then number twos below those number twos. And so I think in, a, in an organizational hierarchical way, one impression I would give you is there is a built-in secession planning into structure. There's a VP, there's an associate VP, there's a director, there's an associate director. So there is a structure in higher ed more so than I think in other places where the next person in line is kind of clearly in line. So there's one take. Now, here's an entirely different take. When y'all think about secession planning, what does that mean for y'all? Does it mean I've designated this person to take over this role in two or three years? Is that it? One of the things I found when I started trying to think about what does secession planning mean, which again is a topic I talk about with a lot of campuses, is my gosh, there is a high level of complexity to this. So if the idea is that I'm designating someone to take over my role when I leave, does that mean I've decided to leave? Does that mean I've declared a departure date? Does that mean I've become a lame duck? Does that mean I get to pick my own successor? How long is that secession planning lasting? Uh, It's one thing if I'm going to leave in nine months to start doing that, but the secession planning I normally hear people talking about is, is really establishing clear pathways into the higher level positions. And if you just think through that in a lived experience, it's really hard. So if the president changes, does that change the secession plan? If the VP changes, does that change the secession plan? I had one person write back and say, the VPs in their campus, and this person was a VP, don't talk about it because it makes them vulnerable and also opens up questions of ageism. So if they say that they're going to leave, does that make them vulnerable and and not able to go into other roles or positions at the institution? So I just said a whole lot of things. I'm going to pause for a minute. Part of the reason I loved this question is when I started to explore it with others and really think deeply into what does secession planning mean, I think on the surface, this idea that we're designating next people to come into roles, I just don't know how that actually plays out in a functional, operational way. Six months later, a lot of things change. A year later, a lot of things change. What if the person's not the best? What if they haven't performed well? And if it's just we're evaluating how they're doing, well, isn't that what we're already doing with everybody internal as well? So... I don't know. I'd love to hear what y'all think about what does a clear secession plan look like? That's a great question. Although I, I have to say, I thought in the mailbag episodes, we ask the questions and you yeah. answer them. <laughs> um, I think succession planning can mean many different things. I think it, it's always thought of as, well, who's going to be the next leader at the top of whatever the org chart is of the team? I think it's about having good, solid professionals throughout your organization and keeping them engaged and keeping opportunities for them to stay engaged and stay with your organization. I think keeping the good people within your team kind of actually 
negates the risk of having an extremely strong leader succeed off of the plan, which happens for many different reasons. So I think it's often thought of as, well, when will the top person move along? I think it needs to be thought of on how you're engaging each one of your teams to make them A, grow as a professional, but also have opportunities as a professional to move into it, from my perspective. Right, Andy. So that's where I landed with this was the term secession planning, we need to replace it with something. And I don't know if it's consultative decision-making or dispersed authority or, or something where what we're really saying in this scenario is we're saying, how do we prepare people for those upper leadership positions? And I think that maybe the author of this question, maybe not, but a lot of times when people talk about secession planning, I'm doing air quotes here around it, they really are looking for a structured flow. What really we're talking about here is how do we make sure the people in our unit are able to cover if someone is gone and can step into that role. So if you replace the session planning with something like consultative decision-making, then maybe I'm attending meetings with my boss so that I understand what happens in those meetings. So if I'm at a cabinet, how many times in the cabinet does the VP bring their number two just to be present for the cabinet meetings to understand how they roll? How many times does that VP send someone else to that cabinet meeting to let them be present and represent? or to other key meetings so that that person understands the role and the complexity of the role. How well do we push decisions down out of the senior person in the, I liked your conversation, whatever the flowchart is, how well do we push decisions down out of that person at the top into the other people so that they are able to make decisions and are practiced making decisions? I really left this question thinking to myself, if I'm over a large complex organization, How do I set it up? Not just that they are advising on decisions, but that we are collectively deciding so that if I'm not there, those collective strong decisions can still get made. I was on a conversation, this is literally just yesterday, with a president who was talking about how they never, there's no vacation. Vacation's never real. They never get to step away. And I think there's a reality of that that is undeniable. But I also think there's an organizational structure and culture that makes that the case. So maybe instead of secession planning, if we have consultative decision-making and people are able to come together and decide things, then maybe I can step out because I'm not the only one in the circle that matters because there's four or five other people in there that know how we decide things and know what's important and where our values are. And I can trust them to make those decisions. And maybe I can actually be on a beach somewhere and not have to worry too much for that week. I think that's spot on, Matt. I kind of feel what's sometimes challenging with these mailbag questions is the person who sends the question doesn't get the opportunity to say, well, that's not quite what I meant. Right. And I feel like we haven't quite hit that. And if you're interested and you have a question, please email us at podcast at higheredjobs.com or tweet us at higheredjobs and let us know what, what you'd like us to answer. And please know that this is our promise. And this is kind of our promise to the person who asked this question. We will do our best to make sure we get not just the words of your question, but the spirit of the question. But I think the other Heart of this question is, why are we avoiding it at the top levels? Maybe we're doing a good job of that all around, but kind of going to the response that you received from your colleague, why are people not doing that? And I have a little bit of a perspective from where I sat in my professional career prior to higher ed jobs, and that's from the plan giving area, working with older donors and talking about their legacy and how they could engage the university and, and making a difference. And I think it speaks to one of the great qualities of folks who work at colleges and universities. 
as people, we walk alongside our mortality on a day-to-day basis, but we're not always all that aware of it. But when we become aware of it, it's kind of a frightening thing. When you're crossing the street and you get really a little bit too close to traffic, your heart stops a little bit and you become very aware that you're a human being and, and life is very precious. I think professionally, we are so bought into the work we do at colleges and universities that a part of who we are is tied to what we do in a way that's different and so admirable compared to professionals in many other fields. And I think when you're looking at the end of career and whether you're the head of it or you're somebody who's just a respected member of the team who's had an extremely long tenure, sometime when you're looking at the, if you will, the end of your professional mortality and coming to grips with it, we tend to want to give people space to do that in their own way and be able to do it on their own terms if possible and do it with dignity. And those are really tough things to do for team members you respect. And while it may perceive, and maybe and sometimes it's true that there's a decrease in power when you've come to terms with your professional mortality, I think it's hard to really get at that in a way that's organizationally driven, but also respecting the humanity of a professional who you care about and respect. Andy, that was beautiful. This is not related to what you were just saying, Andy, but I was thinking when you said, why isn't this happening? And the, the author of this question is saying, obviously, they don't realize that it's it's happening. But Matt, in your initial comments, you said it is happening. So I'm just taking another take, and I'm not, I'm not sure if this is what the author is thinking. But if it's happening on campuses, why isn't it being communicated better? Why isn't it more transparent? Would that help ease some of the anxiety or frustration? If it is happening, why isn't the plan out there more? So I think structurally, there are some obvious um, secession plans built into our org hierarchies, right? And then to the complexity of doing this in a formal way, it becomes a lot harder, which then we went to this place of how do we create a culture within our organizations where people are empowered to make decisions that give us trust in them later when we have positions above them that open up. Uh, So one of the questions I would ask for executive or really anyone leading a team right now, if you are out of the office for an extended period of time, do your peers or those above you know who to go to to get answers for the things that you're in charge of? I asked earlier, how do you define succession planning? That might be a really easy definition. If I'm on a cabinet, do the other VPs know who they would go to if I'm gone? to get answers to the questions that they would normally come to me for. If they answer yes, if they, oh yeah, I'm going to go to this person for that and this person for that stuff, then you've probably done a pretty good job. Maybe a more advanced version of that question is, would they feel confident if that person came to the room instead of you, right? Wow, if that answer is yes, you're in great shape. And so if we reverse engineer that, what do I need to do to get those answers to be a yes, right? So I need to expose that person to all of those people in all of those circumstances, which were some of those examples we said earlier. I need to make sure they have the professional development so that they're able to stand in that space. I need to invite them into the complexity and the decisions that I manage on a daily basis. And so that maybe for me, the struggle with succession planning is the idea that it's somehow capital lettered, right? That there's, let me go to my folder. Let me go to my binder. Succession plan F in case Andy leaves. Here's what we're going to do. I just, I don't think the lived experience plays out that way for a lot of the reasons that that we talked about earlier and a lot of the reasons from Andy's sharing there. It's just really hard to do in that kind of structured way, but in an actual operational day-to-day way, boy, we can invite people into decisions and have them ready to take over in case we're not able to be there. I love that. And hopefully that helps get to the heart of the question of, of what the author was asking. So thank you. Thank you, Matt. 
Hey, I appreciate being here. We appreciate having you on the show today, and we look forward to the next mailbag episode with you. Please email us at podcast at higheredjobs.com or tweet us at higheredjobs with your questions you'd like us to discuss with Matt. Thank you again for listening. We look forward to talking again soon. I always imagine all the music Mike's going to add. That's that's all he ever adds. They don't hear that because they don't have their headphones. Did you just do ring, ring? Oh. Oh.